Hey there, and welcome to the One Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. If you'd like to know more about life at One Church, visit us online at weareone.church or check us out on social media. As Kai said, we've been speaking about heroes. Um, heroes of the faith. We've looked at heroes in the Bible. We've looked at heroes down the ages. But I want to say to you right from the beginning this morning that there are heroes in here. There are heroes in this room. You are a hero. Now, the circumstances draw out heroism. Okay? And there may be some challenges that come to us at different times in life that draw out something more from us than just the average. They draw out something heroic. And because the Holy Spirit lives in you, there's the potential for great heroism in the face of extraordinarily difficult circumstances in every single one of us. There's heroes in this room. So you, you hear me speaking about heroes from the past, heroes from the Bible. It's not so that you can go, oh, weren't they great? It's so that we can also say, is, is there something of that in my life? Okay? And uh, today I'm going to introduce you to a hero called Corrie Ten Boom, um, who I'm going to speak about in a little bit. I won't get there yet, but the title of my message this morning is Heroes for Chaotic Times. Heroes for Chaotic Times. So that's me. That's the title. Heroes for Chaotic Times. I confused you. That's my fault. So that's me. I am a hero for chaotic times. Okay? That's me. Say, that's me. I'm a hero. That was a little bit better, wasn't it? (laughs) Matt, on the recording, rewind. (laughs) How many of you know these are chaotic times? Right now, we are living in, I think, some pretty chaotic and difficult times. And, and I guess this morning I'm going to speak to the moment that we're in, in the world. So there's a sense in which this message isn't just about us in this room. There's a sense in which I'm talking about the world that we're living in. There's a meta-narrative going on, okay? I'm going to speak to the moment. Because there, and we need to, when we speak about that, when we speak about the world that we're living in, there are two real ways in which we can speak about the world we're in. We can speak about what we know by sight, And then we can speak about what we know by faith. So we know the world is a chaotic place by sight, don't we? I mean, does anybody watch the news? Does anybody watch the BBC? Does anybody watch Sky News? You know, you just have to watch for a few moments and you know the world we're living in is a chaotic place. I know that by sight. But as a Christian, I'm also learning to see the world by faith. I'm, when I watch the BBC, I know, as good as they are, or, or Sky, or whoever, as good as they may be in their journalism, they're only seeing part of the story. They, they see what we see by sight. They don't see what we see by faith. They're not journalists of faith. They don't see in the spirit what we see in the spirit as Christians. Are you hearing me this morning? So we have to learn to be people that when we're watching the news, because really easy, you could watch the BBC and be depressed within about 30 seconds if you only see by sight. But we need to learn to see by sight and by faith. And so if we, 
By sight, we know that the world is a chaotic place. We know that right now in this season, in fact, for a few years now, it's an unpredictable place, the world. It can feel an unsafe place. We've experienced a worldwide virus that did not make us feel safe. We've experienced nations again at war. We've seen ideologies that are campaigning for our minds and our hearts. The internet is a wild place. The world, by sight, we know is chaotic. We're reminded today, aren't we? It's Remembrance Sunday. We're reminded that's not a new thing. It's not a new thing in the last five years that the world's chaotic and unsafe and unpredictable. We know by ancient history is chaotic and at times brutal. We know medieval history is not much better. In recent history, we have more stuff than ever, and yet the same old patterns of chaos and dissatisfaction exist all around us. We, we've referenced this morning already the world wars that we've seen. Most recently, there's a, a war in the Ukraine that we've spoken about. And even today, there's conflict in Israel and Gaza. That's what we know by sight. Chaos. The world does not feel safe and predictable. That's what we know by sight. But we're Christians. And we see by faith too. And so when these things are happening, a really important question to ask is, what's God doing? What's God doing? What do we know by faith? What do we understand by faith? There's a great verse in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. It says this, we're fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. What that verse is telling us is that there is a spiritual reality behind everything that's happening. Everything you see in this chaotic world, there's a natural by sight reality, and there's a spiritual unseen thing happening in the spirit. Okay? I'm going a little deep here. Just stay with me while I go deep. It's a deep, little deep dive, okay? And I know some of us are new, and we're barely, at, you know, barely into this thing, but if you can stick with me, there's a spiritual world as well as the natural world. There's what we see by sight, what we see by, by faith. There's a spiritual reality behind everything that's happening right now. Let me give you just a quick example of this. Uh, the organization that we're seeing in the news all of the time at the moment by the name of Hamas. Hamas, okay, and this battle that's going on in Israel. Hamas, there, there's two meanings of that word. The Arabic for Hamas is zeal, zeal, which is kind of like passion, okay? And there's a sense in which there's a, a zealous nature to what's going on there. But that word is not just an Arabic word, it's also a Hebrew word. The word Hamas is a Hebrew word, and you'll find it in the scriptures several times. For example, in the book of Genesis, and chapter 6, verse 11, this is the story of Noah and the flood. As a precursor to the flood, the, the Bible says the earth was filled with 
violence. And that word violence in Hebrew is the word Hamas. Hamas in a Hebrew understanding means evil violence. In other words, it speaks of something that is a spirit, not just an organization that we've heard on the news recently in the Middle East. What I'm saying is this, evil violence, chaos, is a spirit that's been in the world since day dot. Since Adam and Eve fell, a spirit of, we could say, Hamas, violence, has been an issue that the world has fought time and time and time again. This just happens to be a new organization, new people, but the same spirit. Does that make sense? So there's what we see in the natural happening in the world, conflicts, violence, wicked things. You, you can't even get your head around and comprehend how these wicked things could happen in all parts of the world. But what's going on behind that is a spirit of violence, a spirit that's chaotic, a spirit of disorder, something that's been happening again and, and again. And so we know as Christians by faith that there's a spiritual reality to the things that are happening in the world. There are spirits at work behind some of the worldviews that are on the news or in the media or in the social media. Not all worldviews and ideologies are of heaven and of God. And there's a sense in which some of those are spiritually motivated to blind and to deceive and to draw us into captivity and into chaos and into disorder. And God is raising up heroes for chaotic times. Heroes for chaotic times. Because it would be easy for us to see all of that chaos, all of the disagreements, all of the conflict, all of the violence, and say, what can I do? To feel small. And to feel like it's too much. And to feel despair. And to feel anxious. And all of those things would be perfectly normal responses as human beings to the stuff that's going on in the moment in the world that we live in today. And yet we have a God with us. And we have a God who's doing something in those things beyond what we can see. A God who is the God of peace. And a God who is a God that saves and delivers and that raises up people in times and seasons and particularly chaotic times to make a difference. And I think that's the church. I think the church is so well placed in this day and age to be something that the world needs today. And you're part of that church. That's why I said at the beginning, the heroes aren't just in the past. The heroes are in this room. You and I, there's, there's something that can come out of us in these chaotic seasons that can be actually, in the eyes of heaven, heroic. The world may never see it. The world may never know it. But in the eyes of heaven and the angels and the Son of God himself, he sees true heroism. So we see chaos in the world by sight. By faith, we know there's spiritual stuff happening. 
And we know that there is a God who sits on a throne. There's a, a verse in Genesis, uh, sorry, Psalm chapter 29, verse 10 that says this. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. He's still on his throne today. All that stuff I just talked you through, all that stuff that's on the news, the stuff that's the moment at the moment, God sits on a throne above that. God's not surprised by it. God's not put off by it. God's not scared by it. God didn't go, oh, hello, where did this come from? God's in the, on the throne above the flood, above the chaos, above that. And God speaks into chaos, and he speaks into the flood, and he speaks into his church, and he calls people, and he raises people up to do good and to overcome evil and to push back darkness and to live out something of the gospel and the kindness of God in a chaotic world, and that's what it looks like to be heroic. And some of us already know what that's like. You're making heroic decisions in life, doing things that are beyond you, doing scary stuff to make a difference. That's what it means. God is not inactive. God is not shaken. He is always a place of safety for us. And he's raising up heroes for chaotic times. Say, that's me. God's raising us up for a chaotic time. God's raising us up for a chaotic time. I, I want to talk you through a couple of heroes, I think, in the Bible um, that kind of give us a picture, I think, of this and hopefully going to help us today. We're going to put up a slide now, 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to talk about two guys, Elijah and Obadiah. Elijah and Obadiah. I'm going to move my seat just a little bit so you can see that there. Elijah and Obadiah. Now, they lived at a time of chaos that the circumstances would not be of their choosing. You see, at the time, the king of God's people, the king of Israel, was a, a wicked king married to a wicked wife. Uh, their names were Ahab and Jezebel, okay? This is where Jezebel gets the bad rap, okay? The, the bad, you, you don't call your kids Jezebel, do you? Not easily. Because of this woman. That's how bad this woman was, okay? From, from this time till now, people still, that is not coming up in the popular names, baby names lists at Christmas, okay? Because Ahab and Jezebel were a living nightmare, okay? They led the people of Israel on a wayward path towards Hamas, towards violence, towards evil, towards chaos, okay? The, the spirit of Hamas, remember, that's what we're speaking about, not the organization currently in Gaza. The spirit of Hamas, the spirit of evil violence was all over this couple. Are you with me? It was all over this couple. They represent tyranny. They represent chaos. They represent violence. And the people of the time felt unsafe. The people of the time didn't know what mood they were going to be in the next day. They were those unpredictable, power-mad people. And if you walked into their presence, you would carry a plate in case your head was on it on the way out. That's the kind of people we're speaking about. Because they could, in a moment, violence. In a moment, wickedness. And Ahab and Jezebel were in charge. They lived in the palace. And God called two men two heroes to that time to rise up in that circumstance. And they were Elijah and Obadiah. Now, what you need to know about these two guys is they, they had very different roles because not every hero is the same. 
and not every person is called the same. There are unique aspects to our calling, and there were unique aspects to the calling of these guys. So, for example, next slide tells us that Elijah was called out into the wilderness. Elijah was the guy who was called out, not in. Whereas Obadiah was called in to the palace. So you've got one guy who's called out, and his role is to speak into Ahab and Jezebel from a distance, to pronounce, to declare, to be a prophet of God, and to speak from the outside in, to confront. Obadiah, on the other hand, gets the unfortunate job of being Ahab's right-hand man. But what you have here is a guy who works in the palace with Ahab and Jezebel, but he's a man of God. Which role would you prefer? Most of us would say Elijah, right? And and most preachers, when they preach 1 Kings 18, major on Elijah and forget Obadiah. In fact, most commentaries are not actually that um, good with Obadiah either. Most people miss, I think, the fact that here you have a genuine hero. These are not circumstances of his choosing. He's got the worst boss in the world. Some of you have got difficult bosses, but you didn't get Ahab and Jezebel. So, quick complaint. (laughs) So, you have the, the guy who's called out, the guy who's called in. Some of us are called out to minister, to pastor, to lead the church. Called out of the world, called out of secular business, called out of careers, to speak into the world, and that's okay. But not everybody is. Many of us are called in to be an influence from the inside out, to to called into politics, called into education, called into business, called into different aspects, to, to actually be in amongst it, being a hero. Elijah's not the only hero in this story, just because he was called out and he got the fancy job. Because he, he, he was the one who got called out and got to be the one that saw the miracle. Obadiah got called in and God needed both characters to speak into the life of Abraham, Ahab, Abraham, Ahab and, and Jezebel who represented this spirit of violence at the time. Now, this, let's move into the next slide because this tells us even more. Elijah, we know from the, the wider story, was prone to depression and loneliness. He was not a hero like you would imagine a hero to be. This was not Superman. This was a man that, mentally speaking, suffered and struggled day to day to get out of bed. Yet that's who God called out. That's his weakness. And it seems like quite a great weakness when you compare it to the great power that Ahab held. And what you see here is power and tyranny, and yet God using man's weakness against that power and that tyranny. Isn't that interesting? Like God didn't pick Clark Kent for this job. He he didn't. He didn't pick somebody who had it all together and who was super, super like clever. He picked a guy who had to fight himself to get going, to go against Ahab. Anybody encouraged? 
because there's a hero in you. Because you, you wrote yourself off. You wrote yourself off. But in certain circumstances, the hero can rise in you. And it doesn't matter to God your weakness. Well, let's look at Obadiah. Obadiah suffers from anxiety. Like if you read this story, if you read this story, what you'll see is that Obadiah is like, oh, he's constantly on edge. Now, I would be too if I had to walk into the king's, into the king's presence with a plate from my own head. I'd be a little bit anxious. But what you've got here is you have in this story an encounter between, I'm not going to read it to you because it's too long, so just go back and read it this afternoon. You get an encounter between Elijah and Obadiah where Elijah comes to Obadiah and says, mate, I'm going to go and see Ahab. I, I need you to tell him to expect me. And Obadiah says to Elijah, if I go in to the king and if I tell him that you're coming, he will likely kill me on the spot. And he is panicking about it. And so you have this little conversation going on. And, and in El Elijah, we find in 1 Kings 19, he says to God, take my life. Take my life. I am not better than my ancestors. You, you are getting a window into a soul there that is tormented and challenged by difficulty and by depression in life. That's, you're getting a little window there in that one verse. But in uh, Obadiah, you get this little window. Like if I go and tell Ahab, he will, he will kill me. Two men called into an uncertain, unpredictable, unsafe, chaotic time. And both carrying quite deep, visceral weaknesses. And yet, God has said, you're my people for this time. You're my church in the presence of Ahab. You're my people in a time of violence and unpredictability and unsafety. And if all you see is in the natural, if all you see is the BBC report of this story, no one's going anywhere near Ahab. But if you see in the spirit, if you understand what God is doing, then you go, okay, God, I can trust you and I can move ahead with courage. And that's what it means to be heroic. Let's look at what happened. Next slide. For Elijah, God shows up in powerful answers to prayer. In 1 Kings 18, we see the fire of the Lord fell. So there was this showdown on Mount Carmel. And Ahab and Elijah met. And all the prophets of, of, of Baal, which was the idol of that time, they met. And they had a showdown. And, and Elijah said... Uh, take a bull and put that bull on the altar and cover it with water and then pray to your gods and see which God answers. And so the, Baal, the, the, the prophets of Baal prayed and prayed and prayed and did all sorts of things to try and evoke a reaction from their God to, to consume the sacrifice on the altar and nothing happened. And then Elijah said to God, Yahweh, come. And receive the sacrifice. And what happens? Fire fell from heaven. And before the prophets of Baal. And before Ahab. And before Jezebel. Everyone saw an answer to prayer. A miraculous answer to prayer. And the response was. The Lord. He is God. 
So God showed up powerfully in an answer to prayer for a weak man called Elijah. And I want to say to you today that every prayer you make is not, does not go missing between here and heaven. It doesn't get lost. It's not like the email that goes into his spam folder. It doesn't go into his junk folder. Every prayer you make goes into the heavens and has a priority label on it. Elijah, it says in the book of James, was a man like you and I, if you're a man. A man or woman like you and I. He was just like you and I. And when he prayed, God answered. And I want to stir your faith today to believe that your prayers are more significant than you can think or imagine. Look at Obadiah. Obadiah tells us, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And based on what I just told you, that he thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get killed if I go in and tell Ahab this news. He trusted God, and he moved forward with courage, and he told Ahab. And God protected him. God protected him. God takes care of him in the presence of a violent king. Where God calls you, God will protect you. God may have put you in a difficult circumstance, around a difficult boss, or in a difficult part of life, but I want you to trust God, he will take care of you like he took care of Obadiah. He will show up for you, and he will take care of you. But what did Obadiah and Elijah do? They trusted him, and they had the courage to step forward in chaotic times. And I think that's what heroism is. I don't think it's how much power you have. Actually, it usually comes out in weakness. These guys are an example of weakness. These guys are an example of who you don't pick to be a hero. But what did they have? Trust. God, I'm, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to believe that you're going to show up and you're going to protect me. And then they had courage. I'm going to speak to power. I'm going to speak to tyranny. I'm going to speak to the circumstance. I'm going to speak to the pain. I'm, going to, I'm not going to hide from it. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to speak to the spirit. And I'm going to speak in faith. And we're going to see something change. That's trust and courage. Trust and courage. Neither of these guys chose the circumstances that they lived in. Neither of them chose it. But both responded with trust and courage. And we don't get to choose the world we live in, unfortunately. We don't get to choose the politics, really. We don't get to choose the conflicts. We don't get to choose what happens to our bodies and our health. We don't get to choose our employers always. We don't get to choose how other people treat us. We don't get to choose the circumstances but we can choose our response and we can choose to not just see in the, in the natural, but to see in the spirit. We can choose to trust that God's doing something and we can choose to act with trust and with courage. And I think when we do that, and you don't need that every day of the week for the whole of our lives, but there will be times, chaotic times, when God calls us just to rise that little bit more, to respond with something different to everybody else, to be a light for him in a dark world, in a chaotic world. And I think that's what it means to be 
heroic. I want to tell you the story of Corrie ten Boom. Because Corrie ten Boom lived in chaotic times. Who's heard of her, by the way? Okay, a few of us. Okay. Let me tell you the story. Corrie was a Dutch watchmaker living in the Netherlands at the outbreak of the Second World War. She actually ran a youth club. So her family, they were passionate believers in Jesus Christ. They looked for ways to change their community. They were already heroes before the war began. They were always looking for ways to share the love of Jesus Christ. And the way they did that was through making watches and blessing people and through a youth club that they used to run for the young people in the area that they lived in. They'd open their home to them. And then one day, a family came to her door, knocked on the door, and said they were seeking refuge. The family was a Jewish family. And with the invasion of the Netherlands by the Nazi forces, the Jews were being shipped to concentration camps by force. And this family had said, Will you, they're, they're at our door. Can we hide in your house? Can we, can we hide with you? So Corrie had a decision to make. And she took the courageous decision. She took them in. And she hid them. And then she hid others. And then she hid more. And it came to the point where her house and her fa family became known as the Dutch resistance. It's pretty cool. And so what they did was they actually went into Corrie's bedroom and they built another wall in the bedroom. So it was a false wall. And behind the false wall was space for Jewish families. And they called it the hiding place. And you can buy a book on Amazon today called The Hiding Place and it's Corrie's story of all of the Jews that they hid in the hiding place of her bedroom. They saved, Corrie saved, about 800 people, 800 people from the concentration camps. But in February 1944, a Dutch informant told the Nazis about Corrie. This led to her arrest and her imprisonment and eventually led to her own arrival at the Ravensbrück concentration camp that she'd saved so many families from. Now she was sat in the presence of Ahab and Jezebel. She was in a violent, unsafe, and unpredictable place. Crammed into terrible huts with little food and little care, faced with unimaginable cruelty Corrie began a worship service. She preached to the women there from a Bible she smuggled in. That's courageous, yeah? Many, many prisoners gave their lives to Jesus Christ in that camp as a result of Corrie's preaching over a period of 11 months. So they would go out for a day's labor. At the end of the day, they'd come back. 
Corrie would slip out the Bible and they would sit at the feet of Corrie. <laughs> a Dutch watchmaker. Just a normal girl who rose to a chaotic time with trust and courage. Finally, the order was given to execute Corrie and all the women of her age in the camp. But, quite miraculously, a clerical error was made. Who knew? Clerical errors could happen. And it meant that Corrie was mistakenly released. Released. That didn't happen to anybody. It happened to Corrie. Following the war, Corrie set up a home for survivors where she ministered to them, particularly on the subjects of healing and forgiveness. In fact, forgiveness was her life message from that day forward. She preached in 64 countries and helped the post-war generation to heal from the wounds of war by showing God's love and forgiveness. She had seen violence and cruelty. She'd seen it in the natural. I think she'd seen it in the spiritual. But she rose with trust and courage. 2 quotes by Corrie. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. I think she'd say that to us today if she were here. If you look at the BBC, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you might be tempted to be depressed. But look to Christ and you'll be at rest. She said this, I had to suffer for Jesus in a concentration camp. He gave me all the courage and power I needed. I have experienced his presence in the deepest hell that man can create. I have really tested the promises of the Bible. And believe me, you can count on them. What a woman. What a woman. Obadiah, what a guy. Elijah. But I want to say you. I want to say us. I want to say the church in 2023. In chaotic times. Where the same spirit that they faced rises again. Shows its ugly hand in parts of the world, and maybe even in the ideologies and the challenges of our own nation, it shows its hand again, and it campaigns for your heart and mind, and yet maybe there's something of faith rising up within you to say, I see what God is doing, and I trust in God, and I'm going to be courageous in this year, and in this season, and in this world, and I'm going to show the world a different response. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? That's what the church is here for. I'm giving you a vision of the church here. We're not to cower, but to rise in chaotic times. And I know the feelings, though. I, 
there is distress. It's real. There is depression. It's real. There is pain. It's real. There, there is anxiety. It's real. I know it. But I know the Spirit of God. I know Jesus Christ. And, and the, the, the trick is this, is to, to bring all of that humanity that you will feel and experience to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, be my strength. Help me to trust you, to find the courage that comes only from you. It doesn't come from me. It isn't going to, I can't manufacture it, but I can find confidence in the spirit of God. I think that's where Corrie found her strength. I think that's where Obadiah and Elijah found their strength. What circumstances in your life require trust and courage today? What circumstances in your life require trust and courage today? And finally, do you know Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus? He's the peace in the storm. He's the safe harbor in times of chaos. And he loves you right through. The book of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says this. It's going to come up on the screen. We'll read it together to finish. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Well, it tells us that he is the prince of peace. It tells us that the government would be upon his shoulders. That means the burden for the world, the burden for the whole world is on his shoulders, that he's the prince of peace, that he can be trusted, that he's the wonderful counselor. He's predictable and he's predictable in his love, predictable in his mercy and predictable in his grace. And today you can come to Jesus knowing that you will receive from him not a plate of your judgment, but a smile, but acceptance, but forgiveness and love.